You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! George Caldwell is taking the Silver Street to Chicago. First class? Yes, sir. Right this way. He's a busy publisher who's taking a train for one reason only. I just want to be bored. Come on. Well, you're in for the ride of your life. Yeah. You just pick on a little chicky, my friend, and it's hugging much all the way to Chicago. What do you publish? Oh, mostly nonfiction. Cookbooks, how-to-do-it books. It's very interesting. Are you married? Divorced. But in the next three days... He will fall in love. He will witness a murder. And become involved in a bizarre international intrigue. All right, listen, Buster, you're in trouble. And I mean big trouble. Because I'm reporting you. All right, enough's enough. If you're willing to forget it, I don't believe this. Are you kidding? From an innocent passenger, George Caldwell will become a victim. A man who will be forced to risk his life in order to save it. He will fall into possession of the priceless Rembrandt papers and into a perfect frame-up for murder. Holy moly, you shot him! All right, mister. Just keep your hands where they are and we'll have no trouble. Don't shoot. He will make a friend. Who are you? I'm a thief, man. What do you want you for anyway, man? Murder. Drop me off anywhere along in here, okay? I don't mess with the big end. And become a fugitive from the law, wanted in every state. Wait right here. Go get the tickets and it's goodbye, George. What are you talking about? Well, how are we going to get on the train? I got an idea. I can't pass for black. You tell me. I didn't say I was going to make you black. I said I was going to get you on the train. It's comedy. I don't think we'll make it past the cops. We'll make it past the cops. I just hope we don't see no Muslims. It's romance. You've got shoe polish behind your ear. And adventure in the runaway suspense hit of the year. 20th Century Fox presents a Frank Blind's presentation. Silver Street. Starring Gene Wilder. Jill Clayburn, Richard Pryor, and Patrick McGowan as Devereaux. Why are we going so fast? You've got a dead engineer in a runaway train that's going to hit Chicago in 15 minutes. By plane, by train, by the edge of your seat, it's the most hilarious suspense ride of your life. Nothing can stop Silver Street. dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Station One listeners. Welcome to another episode. This is a good one. This is a throwback review that we've been trying to get more and more on the show, because we like to call it 
educating Ashley. And it's <laughs> going to be a great, great series of films that we're going to be talking about spaced out throughout the year and everything. And, you know, we're just going to be trying to show movies to Ashley that are considered classics in a lot of ways, but you know, she hasn't seen yet and she has a fast knowledge. So don't folks don't think that she hasn't seen anything from, you know, only like the late nineties up and everything. So she she actually has a great knowledge of it, and that's why she is our favorite movie reviewer here on the network. So it's pretty awesome to say. But we are going to be looking at the 1976 classic starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. We are looking at Silver Streak. That's right. The first time they teamed up together. And it is a ton of fun to talk about. And we have a great crew to talk about, of course. Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy. You ready for this one, sir? I am. I've been ready. I've been waiting for a long time. Since 1976 to talk about it. <laughs> no, because I probably didn't see it in the theater, but I'm sure we'll talk more about all that later. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Of course, Ashley Pauls is here. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And it's always fun to take a break from all the movies coming out in theaters and revisit something that is from the past because there are plenty of great movies out there and I know sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the new things coming out so it's nice to take a chance and um look at give some love to older movies too. It's almost like a breath of fresh air. It's like yeah. something, you know, it's nice to take a break and do something a little different as I like to say. And of course, Mary Ogle is here. We haven't had Mary on for a bit so it would be nice to have her on. Yeah, it's been a while. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about this one. I definitely did not see it in the theaters. No, I, I was I think 11. This, was the, <laughs> this one had to be an HBO movie for me, or so, I, th I think. And I think so, I probably saw this on yeah, TV. Just TV, yeah. So, you know, like I said, my parents stuck us in front of the TV when growing up, and it, HBO was my babysitter at the time. So. <laughs> If it was on, I watched it. And I think this definitely was one of those. All right. Um, definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what you guys thought about this movie. Have you ever seen it before? What are your thoughts on this one? And this one led into quite a few films that Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder teamed up on afterwards. And so it's pretty awesome to you know see this and everything so definitely would love to hear from you guys at home and you know if you get a chance like and subscribe over on youtube or wherever you're listening to this give us feedback we'd love to do it or just give us a thumbs up as we like to say it's always good all right mr mike you ready to take us away i am and as usual we we begin with the box office this movie did really 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 well it uh it grossed over 51 million at the box office which wow. right now i mean that's like an afternoon for a marvel movie i mean back then in 1976 i mean the movie only cost uh five or six million to make so i mean it really was a big return on investment and it really was a huge hit for uh gene wilder and as we've mentioned uh it was the first team up of Wilder and Pryor, who went on to make uh, three other movies um, and uh, and start like, yeah, a, a wonderful uh, collaboration together. Anyway, so we already established that none of us were old enough to see it in the theater. Uh, Ashley, had you no. even heard of this movie before or were you aware of it or what were your impressions going in before you started watching this? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had heard of it in some context or other, but I really didn't know that much about it before sitting down to watch it. So it was kind of interesting to go in pretty much completely blind. Um, Before I started watching it, I, for whatever reason, I'd assumed it was going to be more like a Mel Brooks, like over the top comedy. And there are some comedy elements, but there's also some like thriller action moments too. So that, that kind of caught me uh, by surprise, but was definitely fun to see uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor together in just the chemistry. I think the best parts of the movie when they're playing off each other. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily my most favorite classic movie that we've revisited, but Mm -hmm. still definitely interesting to watch and uh, discuss. So yeah, definitely a, still worth my time to watch it and looking forward to chatting more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Were you familiar with Wilder and Pryor either individually or together? Yes. Yeah. I um, had really enjoyed seeing like some of Mel Brooks's films and just how uh, funny those are and seeing, um, had seen Gene Wilder in a Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. So yeah, was familiar with him. So it, I think he he and Richard Pryor are definitely the best parts of this film, just like his comedic timing, the way he delivers lines, and um, he was just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into more of that. Mary, what about you? What's your history with this movie? Yeah, I definitely didn't see it when it first came out. I'm sure I saw it probably as a teenager when it got replayed, or in my early 20s when it got replayed on on some network TV station. Yeah, I had mo- I probably the first time I probably saw Richard Pryor was on Saturday Night Live, there uh, with the Exorcist sketch and the interview sketch. Yes, those are classic. I mean, yeah, if anybody hasn't seen them, go back and watch them. On, I'm sure they're on YouTube or whatever. But yeah, I didn't remember actually much about this movie, and it was less less of a comedy and more of a thriller than than I remembered. But mm. I mean that that works actually. They, uh, I, th- I think those those elements work well together. But I mean, there are it's definitely dated, <laughs> and there are definitely oh, some problematic so. <laughs> moments <laughs> in it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, are we sure this is PG? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so, some of the language, some of the the blackface alone, and then also, of course, you know, just some of the language even from Ned Beatty that he was using on, you know, of course, on Jill Claiborne's character. Well, they, and they haul off and slug her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. big time. Yeah. And that is so. not addressed at all. I mean, they just haul mm-hmm. off and hit her and then they move on. Mm-hmm. Mike, uh, before we get into all that, um, because, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, too. Um, Product of its time, for sure. Um, Oh, very much so. But, uh, Mike, why why you're the one who chose this and selected this one as a must-view for Ashley, and and why was that? It was interesting because I chose this for Ashley because it has been copied so many times since. It was the beginning of of a trope of films, you know, with, you know, it was not a comedy. It was not even billed as a comedy. It was more of an, you know, action adventure type film. God, how many times was Gene Wilder thrown off that damn train? (laughs) And, you know, and so it was, it was just interesting to see. And I 
thought the chemistry with between you know Jill Claiborne and Gene Wilder, and then of course when Richard Pryor joined in this, was just amazing, and they worked so well together. And I thought this would be great because if you think about it, this was 1976. This was also around the era of the big disaster movies and mm-hmm. you know the huge adventures. Like you had French Connection, you had Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, the Irwin Allen stuff, or you also had all the different airplane movies, you know, airport movies, sorry, airplane came later. But, you know, (laughs) exactly. But it was just, it was interesting. And it fit into that genre because they even did, you know, spinoffs like, you know, parodies of this, like The Big Bus and, you know, stuff like that and Super Train and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I also, I'm a big fan of the ending when the train crashes into the train station and everything. Which yeah, that always pretty reminds amazing. me of Airplane. Where yeah, the plane oh, when the airplane crashes, crashes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's where they got it from. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it's just, and it's just awesome. And, you know, you also have, and the characters in this movie are just awesome. And it has, you know, Scatman Carruthers. It's pretty, you know, you can't mm-hmm. beat that. <laughs> So it's pretty cool. So that's that's the main reason I chose this. And like I said earlier, the first time I saw this probably was late 70s, early 80s on HBO and fell in love with it and everything. But it's interesting, you know, how we're saying this is the first time that Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder worked together. They actually worked together on another project that, you know, a little bit of trivia here. They actually worked together on Blazing Saddles. Because Richard Pryor was one of the writers on Blazing Saddles. That's true. And he was actually supposed to originally be, you know, Bart in it. Yep. Yeah. So it, so it was interesting. And so you already had the relationship with Gene Wilder. And so I thought it was a perfect fit. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, Pryor was cast before Wilder. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be Pryor and um, I can't remember the name of the uh, actor's name that was supposed to be in the lead. But he was... He was, he would show up on set drunk. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Mel reached out to Gene and said, could you come down here and film this movie with me? And he's like, ah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how much they interacted on that though, because my understanding was Richard Pryor's work was always already done before they even started shooting that. So I don't know if Pryor was actually on set for that, but I mean, they, I'm sure um, they were aware of each other. Oh, I'm um, sure. Uh, because at this point, Richard Pryor is still a pretty decent, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a big name, even though he doesn't appear in this until about an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he still gets like third build. Like he's, he's like right there in the, in the main cast. I think I saw this movie. Yeah. I think I saw it on TV and, you okay. know, looking back on it now, I think most of the things that are in this movie, since it's PG, were aired on on TV. I would not be surprised if, you know, the the use of the N word and all that kind of stuff was still in when I was watching it on TV. Because at that point, I don't think uh, in the seventies and early eighties, I don't think they had really put a kibosh on that sort of language on TV. They would not use the N word on TV at that yeah, point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they cut it out. Yeah, I'm not as certain. I mean, obviously there was certain there was example, uh, you know, exceptions to the rule like roots and everything. But uh, 
Because I know that wasn't edited for TV. I mean, edited no, in it, the same way. It, it was made for TV yeah. roots, but also they ran disclaimers about language and right. nudity and such before because the African scenes, there was, you know, topless women or that there's scenes with rape and such and roots. Right. And so there, they had, I remember as a kid watching it because it was required watching for in, for school and they actually had the disclaimers on it, you know, the program you're about to watch type thing. Mm -hmm. So if they played this or something, you know, something on it like that, I'm sure things were bleeped at least. It's possible because I mean, if, if certainly on a major network, ABC or an yeah, NBC I'm film, sure that, that would be. But if I saw networks. it on like Channel 38, a UHF channel, I'm not so sure. I can remember watching Deer Hunter on on a on a channel like that, and that was not edited very much at all so uh that traumatized me as a kid um i was way too young to be watching deer hunter i don't remember i mean i wouldn't have been too young to watch this i mean this is really enjoyable i think it's you know i dare say all ages but i mean it's obviously not for little bitty kids and there's a lot of stuff in here that is now looking back on it now is problematic and whatnot but i mean it is it is fun it is an adventure it is sort of like a uh, well, it's like a Hitchcockian movie. I mean, the plot and everything is very much like, you know, it's not the first, it's not the first ever train murder mystery, but it's, it's, it's certainly one that's in the top, I would say five or 10 when people talk about train mysteries. Um, very has a similar plot to Lady Vanishes, which is an early Hitchcock movie that he made in Britain, um, where, you know, a passenger disappears. Uh, that everybody is uh, that only one person realizes it's a different person and everything like that. So the plot's very similar, um, but then it goes in a lot of different ways and it's got some uh, Gene Wilder humor in it. It's interesting to me that Jane is like this leading man kind of guy. Cause he's not exactly Cary Grant, right? Oh, definitely not. But, but in this, but in, but you remember in the seventies guys like uh, Gene Wilder, Woody Allen were like sex symbols. It's true, Ashley. I know you're smiling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree with that about Woody Allen, but yeah, it's maybe Gene Wilder. <laughs> I mean, you look at like you know, you look at the movies he was in, and he's always like you know. Yeah, that's because he cast himself in the movies. He's not just the movies that he wrote movies. and directed, but other movies that he did as well. If you look at him in Casino Royale, for example, I mean, he and. And yes, he had, you know, I mean, I, I will say that uh, I think that there was something, there was something in the water there. I don't know. Um, and then with Richard Pryor, I also think, uh, I mean, I, I've watched a lot of like movies, the black exploitation movies that uh, were made during this time too. And Richard Pryor kind of brings that element to this movie as well, um, which is uh, kind of fun. Um, so I, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a solid movie. For sure. And it's, I haven't watched it in a long time, a long time, maybe oh, it's over been at least 20 25 years. It's been yeah. at least 25 years since I've seen this last and yeah. it was just as enjoyable as I remember, but let's talk to the newbie. Let's get her <laughs> point of view as far as. Absolutely. Ashley. what's, what's something uh, significant you noticed about the movie, either plus or minus. Yeah, well, I always love a good thriller set on a train. I love trains myself, so I wish there were more movies like this. I 
uh, enjoyed seeing like Murder on the Orient Express and Bullet Train, like using this because you have the idea of all these people are kind of trapped in this one space for a certain amount of time. So you have like the tension there and the setting. And I kind of like the idea of blending something that's both a comedy and a thriller. Like there is some moments where you feel like Gene Wilder's character is in danger, but then there are also some laughs again with the bit like where he keeps getting thrown off the train again and again and again, then ends up at the farm and just trying to like get help from all these different places to um, go help this uh, woman that he just met kind of with on the train a little bit of a like a James Bond um having meeting someone on a train and just like sparks flying so yeah it was it was interesting to watch that and then just fun to see Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor's chemistry I was kind of surprised with uh Richard Pryor not showing up until about halfway <laughs> through the movie they really make you wait for him but he is worth the wait. And again, like I kind of wish there would have been even more scenes with the uh, two of them together. And one thing that also uh, struck me is cool to see the score by Henry Mancini. He's always, always welcome to hear music from him. And, but yeah, just fascinating to watch this for the first time here in 2023 and some of the jokes and like cultural elements that would never be put in a movie today and I think those are definitely good like conversation starters like obviously blackface is something that would never be done in a movie today is rightly considered to be offensive and I was wondering like are the directors aware that it's offensive and they're using it like as a commentary on how it's offensive or were they just being tone deaf so it's kind of it's interesting sometimes it's there's a lot you can dive into with intent of the creatives behind it. But I think that is one of the valuable things about watching older movies is having some of these conversations about how we've changed culturally and just kind of bringing up some of these uh, different topics surrounding artistic expression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think back then it was probably more tone deaf. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's I, a better way to put yeah, it. I don't, I doubt that they were doing that ironically or are in any way aware that, that it was offensive or, or that it cared that it was. Yeah. Offensive. Well, um, there is a story uh, about the making of it that um, the, the scene where Grover puts on the shoe polish uh, on George um, Richard Pryor wrote the dialogue for that scene. And when it was first filmed, the scene was, was had it uh, a white man walking in uh, and believed that George was black. Um, but Richard Pryor was very uncomfortable with that scene, felt it would be funnier if it was done as he wrote it. A black man walked in is not fooled at all. Uh, Pryor went to the director, Arthur Hiller, and he said, uh, no, nah, I'm not going to shoot it again. And Pryor walked off the set and refused to return to filming until the scene was changed and Hiller finally relented, and of course, the idea, his idea, made the final cut. So, there, there was somebody that was aware of what was going on in that well, scene. Yeah, of course, Richard Pryor <laughs> was aware of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that Richard Pryor was aware of it. Right, and good for him for going to the director and saying, "Look, this is, you know," and and even then, he could only get it, you know, changed so much. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a, and that's a big risk too, because, um, Pryor almost wasn't cast in this movie because he had recently walked off of another movie when he did right before this, the bingo long 
uh, traveling all stars and motor Kings uh, movie. Um, and so, uh, but from all, um, you know, I don't know what the instance was that he was, that he walked off that set to. Well, he so was I pretty don't... well known for having substance abuse issues. Right. Right. Being oh, for many, many years by this point. It. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it could have been, you know, in this case with, uh, uh with silver streak i think it was more of a you know social issues that he had with the scene rather than you know he was just go out, out in his trailer getting high although he yeah. might have been doing that too most likely necessarily cancel out the other um mary what's something else about uh silver streak that uh struck you when you watched it this time wow you know actually one of the things that I, I think I didn't notice as, as much as much the first couple of times I watched it was Patrick McGowan's performance as Devereaux. And he, he makes a pretty darn good villain. He's so, yeah, he's yeah. And yes, he good, does. He's good, yes. And I remember him. I went on a binge watch of The Prisoner <laughs> a few years back. And I think nobody's ever watched The Prisoner. You really should go watch it because it's pretty cool. Oh, it's an uh, amazing show. Yeah, and you know, and that that's where I really know him from. But yeah, he gives a very I mean it's a very understated performance, but but it actually I mean it, it works really well because you need somebody who's not uh you know in that situation who's not over the top. I'm glad they didn't do an over the top villain. Yeah. I think I think that would have ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, and it, it was and it was awesome too, because you also got you know, you did get some of the overtop villains, you know, with Ray Whiston and you also and had Jaws. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And everything. So you got the big over the top villains. Yeah. But, but Patrick they, was they so sedate. They were sidekicks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was so weird seeing the My Favorite Martian as, <laughs> you know, you know, as the, you know, the hood. Oh, listen, see, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, he, he what actually seemed like he was kind of doing almost a parody <laughs> yeah, of that kind was, of character. And even when I first saw the movie, I knew him from my favorite Martian. So it was just like, and I had like with, uh, you know, with, but with, uh, you know, with Jaws, I had not seen the James Bond movies by that at that point yet. So I didn't yeah. know who he was. And he was just some big guy who got hit with a spear gun. That was pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I was trying to remember whether he was in James Bond first or or this. I I was surprised by that because I thought for sure he had been he had done the done the role of Jaws before this because he has a metal grill, right? right. And he didn't really have that in real life. And so I was like, well, they're they're obviously banking on, you know his popularity from the first uh, movie that he's in, because he's in two jo uh, Bond movies, The Spy Who Loved Me. But The Spy Who Loved Me was filmed and released after this. Mm -hmm. So next, It was the next year. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they took the metal tooth, the metal teeth from this movie for that, because that's obviously what he's known for. Uh, but uh, yeah, because it doesn't seem like there's any real reason that he should have them in this movie. No, they're just, they don't even really remark on them. They're just yeah, kind of yeah, there. They, they, there's one, there's one joke that I think Gene says about it. And that's about like, that's it, you know? And then, um, so I don't, yeah. And he never uses them. I don't think he uses them to bite anything or 
you know, like he does when he's mm. Jaws. So it is kind of a weird, uh, but yeah, this is full of a lot of great character actors, um, which is always nice to see all of them pop up in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Ned Beatty, uh, Ray Walston, uh, as you mentioned, Mike Scatman Crothers, mm-hmm. uh, Valerie Curtin, Fred Willard, you know, like there's just uh, a bunch of folks in here that are just like kind of cool to see, I think, because they all do really good jobs. Um. Mike, what's what's something else about this movie that uh, that you liked? Um, it made me realize how really bad shots all these people were in this movie <laughs> because it's like the shootout at you know with the train was <laughs> so bad. It's like oh, stormtroopers. Exactly, exactly. That's where George Lucas probably got the idea for you know, <laughs> and so but yeah, it was it was a. F- for me, this movie was really, really interesting, but it was also one of the things I hadn't noticed before was the cinematography in this movie was beautiful. Um, you know, the shooting of the Rocky Mountains, um, the shoot, you know, or the the desert or, you know, wherever Gene Wilder's character got thrown off the train. It was always neat to, you know, get to see America at its finest. And it was beautiful. It was really, really well done. And it was neat to see, you know, the shots of the train as it was traveling the countryside and everything, you know, that had to be done either, probably by helicopter at that time. And oh, yeah. so, and so it was, there were some just great shots and it really, you know, I really liked that part and, you know, there was just, it was, it was a fun thing. And then just the nonsense and, you know, the nonsensical having all these convention guys on the train partying and everything. Yeah, they, it they was just, just show like, up at random moments. Exactly. Yeah. When you I don't, don't know if that was really them. used as much as I thought it was going to be like, they, I think they pop up in like two scenes really after they're introduced. And I was like, I thought they were going to maybe factor more into this, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, and it was interesting. And it was, I just enjoyed the film and I loved seeing a very, very young Fred Willard at the end of the movie mm-hmm. yes. and it, which was awesome. And cause I'm a huge fan of his and, you know, and he played the typical, you know, oh yeah, there's a disaster coming. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, my boss, he's on break. I'm the assistant and, you know, and then, oh, wait, you, you're telling the truth. Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? And so it was, it was pretty funny and everything. So it was cool. I enjoyed it. The, uh, the movie, of course, uh, was mostly praised by uh, mostly um, uh, mostly praised by critics, um, and uh, including Roger Ebert uh, loved it. Uh, Gene Siskel was not as kind, um, and one and thing we're shocked Gene, why. <laughs> one thing that uh, Gene pointed out was uh, uh, he called it a needlessly convoluted mystery yarn, which calls everyone's identity into question except Wilder's, uh, which is. I don't know if it's a fair criticism, but it's certainly a interesting thing that, I mean, everybody is not who they say they are, except for, you know, Gene Wilder's character and, and Richard Pryor's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say that um, I'm not sure whether Claiborne's character, Secretary Devereaux was actually was in on the hustle from the beginning. And 
That is an interesting question because at certain times she seems like she's in on it and other times she doesn't. So, um, and to be honest with you, I found her character pretty weak. I don't think I'm a huge Jill Claiborne fan anyway. I don't think I despise her by any means, but I just don't think like she adds much to it. And I don't, you know, unfortunately as typical as they, the, the roles were for women were at this time, I don't think she she doesn't have any agency in this. As Mary pointed out, she gets smacked around and she does nothing. Like there's no sense of retribution on her part or anything like that. She never gets anything. She's just basically a reason for um, George to do what he does. Yeah, she reminded me of a Doctor Who companion who <laughs> yeah, very doesn't much get so, to do actually. anything. She's <laughs> just kind of there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Along for the ride. Yeah, right. there were a couple times like it's like because I had, hadn't seen this in years. There were a couple times like if it was a modern movie when Gene Wilder's character, she would have been killed or something, you know. Oh, yeah, we threw her off the train, too. Well, I'm glad she wasn't like fridged, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, <laughs> she, I mean, she's not Devereaux's secretary, though. She's Shriner's secretary. Well, we don't exactly. really know what she is. Well, no, she, she says that. No, out. she says she's the secretary that she. But do you believe her? On, she worked on the book with him. And do you everything. believe her? Yeah. Why? She's in because, with Devereaux because she didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to indicate she's in with Devereaux. I mean, she was in. I mean, you're led to believe. In some ways, I think you know. I was looking at it. It was like possibly she was in from the beginning. Like she knew that you know what was going on in the beginning. She was covering up for. Uh, her boss's death right from the very beginning. Um, I think you can make that case anyway. I don't think the movie does. I don't think the movie cares. I mean, we can at least say they didn't make it clear one way or another. Right. Because like I said, I don't think the movie cares. Yeah. Because she's not, she's not important enough as a character for them to really give her defining moments like that. She just gets shoved in the background. Right. And in fact, you know, I think this movie has more of a bromance than a romance. Uh, this, I mean, once once Pryor hits and they sort of bond, uh, Wilder and 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 Pryor bond, uh, their characters bond. Like there is a <laughs> when when uh, after they both get thrown off the train or they jump off the train yeah. uh, and end up in custody and then are about to go their separate ways. There's this really like romantic scene where they're parting. Like it's really like neither one of them want to leave each other. Um, and it feels really like like it's shot like a romance. I mean, did I noticed it? Uh, did you guys notice that as well? No, I noticed. I did. No, yeah, I agree bit. with you a little bit. I I don't disagree with you. I mean, I don't think but, they were. Know. I mean, there was certainly a lot of chemistry between them, and I can sure. see. Oh, very I much can so. see where you're coming from. I mean, I don't but, think they know, cross a line. No, romance, no. But there are I, definitely no. a heavy but romance. It, but it's also interesting too, because you know, you know, Gene Wilder's character actually made gardening kind of sexy again. You know, so really, which was pretty cool. Were you so. were you turned on by that, Mike? Is that what you're saying? the red the red curly hair you know know, the the carrot top exactly so and let me tell you the sexiest guy in the movie (laughs) very much so (laughs) 
Um, very, very much so. I, I would not have been surprised, like, at the end of the movie, if, you know, Gene had, like, gone off with uh, Pryor and left uh, Clayburgh just standing in the, in the, in the lobby <laughs> with, the, with the busted train. Because it just seemed mm. like they... I know that they didn't make this with that with that intention that they were going to that they were creating this great comedy team. Of course, they go on to make Stir Crazy after this, and that's a huge hit. I think, yeah. and they're they're both like on in top form on that movie. That's the one I always think of when I think of yeah. Wilder and Pryor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you think of them. Uh, what is it? Uh, the scene where they're strutting out like that's right, that's right. We bad like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, but I mean, they don't they don't give Clayburgh enough to do as a character, so they can't. I mean, how do you develop a romance, a, a believable romance between no. these two people when they don't she, give Clayburgh anything to do? She was very two dimensional in this, mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you know, you thought you know when she you know, you know poured the drink down Ned Beatty's pants and everything. I thought, oh, she's going to be this you know, pretty, you know, modern woman and everything like that. But nope, 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 nope. <laughs> but she, yeah, I, just the way that, you know, they play that scene up and, you know, I don't know if, yeah, I just got the sense because she goes, she approaches uh, George mm-hmm. um, right from the get-go and it's very reminiscent and I, maybe it's my North by Northwest west baggage mm. that i'm bringing to it because that's yes. exactly what happens in north by northwest and that's i mean the woman there is definitely working for the bad guy uh and seducing I mean, it may have been more interesting if she was working for the bad guy yeah, well, yeah that's what I, I, yeah maybe that's what the hope was it's like oh it would have been great if she was the femme fatale or something like yeah. that yeah that been awesome and then yes. you could have had him going off like him and Richard Pryor going off in the car at the end because he realizes right, that the woman, woman he loved betrayed him. So he's like, ah, oh, whatever. And then he and Richard Pryor can ride off into the sunset for more adventures. Yeah. And then in that new car of uh, Pryor's at the end. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, the yellow AMC, at least it wasn't a pacer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do get, uh, what are they riding around on? And when they go cross country, is that a Porsche? That's a nice little Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they had it looks so nice weird car. back then. Is it, what do you what do you think of that, Ashley? When you see movies like this, does it does is it like a time capsule for you? Because um, for I mean, I imagine for Mike and Mary and myself, I mean, it's it's nostalgia. Like we actually remember people sitting at tables with bottled cokes of tab, <laughs> like <laughs> like. But oh, I mean, a... this is this is all nostalgia for us. But what is it like for you to watch this thing with a sort of time capsule into the seventies? No, I I really like that aspect of watching older films because how cool is it to get a window into a time and place? And some people think details like that. Oh, that makes a film dated, but I don't think so because it's depicting a potential like current time and place and whereas like if people watch an Avengers movie 20 years from now I mean it'll still be a great adventure but doesn't really give you an idea of what life is actually like in 2023 but for here like you get a sense of like the different clothes the styles the way that people behaved and again like we were talking about some of the humor which wouldn't be um, used today but that was kind of what people used back then so it's just interesting to track cultural change so that is one of my favorite aspects of watching classic movies is just getting to see how things have changed but also how 
certain things have stayed the same. Like it's great to see lines that were funny then and they're still funny now because they're timeless. So yeah, I, I really like that aspect of getting to see older films. Mary and Mike, I'll put this to you. Like, so is Silver Streak a pretty good representation for what life was like in 1976? Well, yes, yes. no. <laughs> I mean, maybe not not the murder on the train so much, but you know, certainly there are details in there that I mean, I agree with. Actually, I would not want it to be. You know, would you call it time washed? <laughs> I, <laughs> I you know I I like seeing those little details because it really sets you in that period and this this is a period piece I mean it is very mm-hmm. much of its time and it definitely has you know feels like the seventies I would not want to lose that Mm-mm. about it exactly it was it was a true throwback and seeing the telephones even that you know were yes. the rotary phones seeing the payphones seeing you know people you know, the the gift shops with some of the stuff in it. And it's just, it was all like what we grew up with. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a true throwback and the cars and, you know, even the helicopters and, you know, the things you had in this were right out of it. And it wasn't like, there was there wasn't a lot that you know made me go oh that I don't get it anymore or I don't relate to that anymore and that's what was good about this movie is you know the bad guys would be more evil twisting mustaches now it would become something more like bullet train was than if it was made today and I loved what they did with this and everything and you know because yeah, I cause... still enjoyed it. For, you know, people getting murdered uh, quite a lot in this movie and uh, a lot of threats of violence and everything like that, the stakes are pretty low, really, compared to, like, big plots, you know, villainous plots. I mean, you know, it's just uh, he wants to, you know, the bad guy wants to discredit another guy. um, And then it's, you know, his reputation is online for authenticating these Rembrandts. It's not like, you know, life or death stakes uh, for millions of people in this, right? Um, But it is very much a, you know, I think a sort of, uh, you know, Deborah represents in some ways like um, the one percenters. And and I think uh, Gene and them are, uh, and Gene is like a middle class and, of course, Richard Pryor is lower class. So you get this class struggle here. I think you can look at it that way. I mean... I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that, but I mean, I certainly think that it's interesting that it's there. Well, I think that's true. And I think it's interesting that, you know, those same struggles are still going on. Oh yeah. Which is, it's definitely still relatable. Yeah. Unfortunately in this case, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's not like we would look at it and go, man, remember when people like fought for this kind of stuff? It's like, no, it's still going on, you know? But this, uh, I mean, you can go back to the beginning of story with this. This, this is a, this is a hero's journey. You know, yeah. this, this is a plot that has been around for thousands of years, and it, it is it, to me, it's always fascinating. But, I mean, it doesn't matter that that it's a hero's journey, and that's that's a trope we all know because what what's important is the way it's presented, mm-hmm. and and that, that's actually you know another argument for 
that it's good that it's it's uh, a product of its time because then you get to see what perspectives were like in that time period yeah mm -hmm. and something else that i appreciate about older films is the absence of cell phones i feel like there's a lot more you can do with suspense and storytelling when people don't just have a phone they can pull yes. up and call somebody else That's with like point. yeah if uh george tossed off the train he pulls out his cell phone he's got an uber coming to pick him up but it's a lot funnier and more <laughs> right. interesting if he has to go around and finds this farm and tries to get a ride so you have to that's, milk a cow and, you know, yeah you with right like before. that wouldn't happen today so i enjoy some of the storytelling freedom that creators back then had because people didn't have these tools instant problem problem solving tools mm -hmm. oh everyone would be around at the train station instead of running away from it they'd be there with their cell oh, phones right like filming pictures. it like hey let's <laughs> exactly. right. live on tiktok <laughs> or doing <laughs> selfies and everything and everything <laughs> with it and like yeah going yeah. out look at this you know absolutely and, that's funny. And so, yeah, that's a big difference about it. I don't know. I think we might have dumbed down quite a bit since then. <laughs> yeah. So it's no, kind of depressing. <laughs> the, the phones have gotten smarter and we've gotten dumber. Is that right, <laughs> The, uh, I, uh, yeah. And, and I think we're still having problems adjusting to cell phones and telling stories with cell phones because mm -hmm. how many times do you watch something and they're like, oh, I can't get a signal here. Yeah, it's because yep, they can't yes, figure out a yes. way to, to work it in that he's got a right. cell phone, like so. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have to worry about that with this, uh, which is kind of fun. So, um, anything else you wanted to mention about this movie? See this experience, Ashley. Well, um, just a quick little shout out um, that I thought was fun. I like the train and the fact that it's going um, cross country. You hear some less common stations as. A lifelong Kansan, I was real excited to hear shout outs to Dodge City and Kansas City, <laughs> two Kansas City, two cities I've been in that don't get mentioned in movies very often. So I was pretty excited. Yeah. 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 They're racing to get to Kansas City. Yes. Yeah. It's not often <laughs> that you get to see a city in Kansas be um, a significant plot point in a thriller. So I, I was I was pleased with that little reference. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize any spots when they were driving through the the farmlands and everything so well i have to admit a lot of the farmland does somewhat look similar so they could have filmed it in kansas like i love you kansas but the truth is some the, the great plains kind of look similar but yeah it's just kind of fun to see different settings because i feel like a lot of times these thrillers are in like new york or big cities so it was kind of cool to see the um going to different locations again the challenge with that like he gets tossed off the train in the middle of nowhere he's not near a big city so he has to be resourceful and find a way out of that so yeah that was just a a, a little detail that that made me smile i think the i think it was actually filmed mostly in canada so i i don't know if it, it was actually in, i don't yes, know if there's yeah. actually any midwest actually represented but it is kind of cool i mean well, yeah it was you know, i appreciated the shout out nonetheless saskatchewan has is a midwest of canada it's okay. true yeah. true it's yeah. like, like a lot of science fiction shows where everybody every planet is vancouver oh exactly. i know like i love stargate atlantis dearly but every but it's planet all looks like canada <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, anything else uh, you wanted to mention about Silver Streak, Mary? 
Not just that I really, if you're looking for something that's a, a really good balance of comedy and drama, which I think is something that is hard to do and that we do not get necessarily get a lot of these days. They, I mean, I know it happens sometimes, but they tend to lean more one way or another. And I think this one, the way they worked in the comedic bits into the drama, that's it's seamless. I mean, it all works really well together. It makes sense within the story. And so I, re- I would highly recommend it just, just for, for that alone, for people to watch it. Mm-hmm. But it's, as a, do you, do you guys too, do you guys recommend uh, people check out Silver Street? Oh God, yes. Oh yeah, Very I would say fun. yes. Did we succeed, Ashley? That's what we needed to know. Yes. No, I think that it is well worth people's time to watch again for the uniqueness of the comedy and drama and the idea of a movie lit made in the late seventies. So yeah, if you're looking for some classic movies and it's nice, it's one that I feel like there are certain standard movies and people say, Oh, go watch a classic movie like Casablanca or gone with the wind, things like that. But it's nice to expand beyond that too. Like there are other movies that were made in the past that are worth your time as well. So I think mm-hmm. it's good for people to go check out. Yeah, that's cool. There's a lot of uh, really cool things in this. Mike, uh, any sort of final words on on final thoughts on Silver Streak for you? No, if you're into, you know, mid-70s adventure, comedy, drama, definitely worth checking out. And, you know, it, you know, it is, you know, you'll probably, like we've said many times already, you know, a lot of show, shows and movies have imitated it. But this is the first one that really did, like, you know. You know, and it's the first time Richard and Pryor and Gene Wilder are together, and you'll see the birth of the chemistry they have together. So definitely worth checking out. And it's available on Amazon Prime, so definitely check it out. It's like two bucks or something like that. The uh, Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is their first outing. And if you're curious about the team-up between the two, um, this one and then the subsequent movie that they made, Stir Crazy, I think are the 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 peaks. I think the last two are yeah. not as good. I don't even think I saw the last one that they did. Um, and uh, I think um, here no evil, see no evil has some moments, but uh, uh, the concept of that is hilarious, actually. But I don't yes. know if the execution is <laughs> really. That's a whole good, different but, story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, point out that I meant to mention this earlier, but because um, I mentioned that I was surprised that Richard Keel was not already Jaws before this, but uh, we do get a Bond character represented in this too, because Clifton James, if he's not Sheriff Pepper, he's darn close to Sheriff Pepper in this movie. Like, <laughs> And he had done uh, already two Bond movies uh, as, that, as that character before he did this. So this is really kind of still... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it can kind of cross over to the Bond, the Bond universe. He could also get on that. Yeah, but he could also be the same character that he was in Cool Hand Luke and everything too. Yes, maybe, so. maybe uh, Richard Keel's character survived and became Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why he needed the teeth work even more so. I mean, there that share of character turns up in like. 85% of 70s movies. Yeah, it's true. It's true. The henchman is, yeah, is not a new concept at all. Yeah, This doesn't no. really invent anything, but it does it really well, as you guys have already yeah. pointed out. What it does, it does well. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's cool. If you like movies like uh, North by Northwest or 
anything with Gene Wilder in it, actually. This is a really great movie for him. Um, so uh, it's not one that he wrote or directed. Um, one of the few during this era where he didn't write and direct, but it's still pretty good. What he does with the material that he's given, um, I think, is pretty solid. So I I, I appreciate it, Mike. This was, uh, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I was like, why is he picking Silver Streak? And then once I watched it, I'm like, now I know why he picked Silver Streak, because it's pretty good. I have I have, I have, I have, I have forgotten how good it was. So, yes. Wait till you so see and my it next is worth one. watching. Um, yeah. yeah, despite some of the scenes that might make you feel uncomfortable at times. Exactly. <laughs> So check it out, uh, Silver Streak, 1976. Um, well, cool. I don't know what we have next on the agenda for a classic viewing, but uh, I'm sure we'll be able to squeeze one in sometime soon. I know we're about to about to get inundated with summer movies pretty soon, but we'll try to make time for something classic uh, in, along that run as well. So um, very cool. Well, we're going to take a uh, quick break, and when we come back, we're going to bring back the con report. Do you love gaming, costumes, and cosplay? Grab some beats and come party with us at Nerdy Graw, a three-day carnival celebration of all things geek. Join the crew for music, entertainment, gaming, cosplay, and celebrity guests including DC Douglas, Steve Jackson, Mark Neer, and Jessica Nova. Friday, March 10th through Sunday, March 12th at the Atlanta Marriott Northeast at Century Center. Visit NerdyGraw.org for more information. Join the crew at Nerdy Graw Share. Go to room at the hotel for a party that's going to last up weekend. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And every now and then we have to report on what David Bowie's estate and collection is doing because it continues to thrive and develop and do new things, which I think is totally appropriate. And most recently, uh, it has come out that some 80,000 pieces from the Bowie collection are headed to uh, the V&A uh, formerly known as the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. They will be housed at what will be called the David Bowie Center for the Study of Performing Arts in Stratford for display and research purposes starting in 2025. Many of these pieces were part of the David Bowie Is uh, collection tour from 2013 to 2018, but thousands of pieces, including some letters and plans for projects that never saw the light of day. They have never been seen by the public before. Uh, the center will ultimately house hundreds of thousands of, of artifacts from archives, including Vivian Lee's and the Glastonbury Festival's official repository. So it's going to be a fascinating place. Um, this is all very appropriate for a man that Niall Rogers said. He didn't just make art. He was art. Very appropriate indeed. And if you saw the Celebrating David Bowie concert tour last year and you want to see it again, or if you missed it, I highly recommend catching it. Uh, saw it last year and it was more than a concert. It was one of those times where you see really good musicians really going deep and stretching out on material <clears throat> and finding all new 
all new facets of it. It's it's something you don't see in concert every day. Uh, they're going out this spring. Again, it will be Adrian Ballou, Royston Langton, Scrote, uh, Peter Murphy, and Eric Shermerhorner are coming on this round of the tour. I'm sure there will be special guests at various stops. To find out more and get concert tickets, check out CelebratingDavidBowie.com. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we will catch you next time. All right, our Station One people, it's the return of the Colin Report. (laughs) Wow, it's been over three years. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's been a while. It has been a while since we've done the con report. Because, uh, I mean, even though we've been to cons, uh, but uh, this was a big one. So a big new experience for you guys. So I'm anxious to hear all about it. It was awesome. Uh, Mary and I actually this last weekend uh, went down to Pensacola, Florida, and it was the 10th annual Pensacon. They were celebrating their 10th year, but they were also celebrating the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. And they had... 13 Doctor Who guests this year. Which is awesome. Yep. The only one, they actually were supposed to be 14, but Catherine Tate had a project she was working on that she couldn't come to the States and everything. So, you know, it was interesting to see and meet. We got to see, you know, we got to see Paul McGann. Uh, Peter Davison was in full regalia for all his pictures and everything. (laughs) And it was awesome. It, Sylvester McCoy was there. Uh, Colin Baker was there. Uh, let's see. Chris Elkelson came Eggleston. in for Saturday. Mm-hmm. He Bruce was there for there. one day. He <laughs> came for one day. And But it was awesome. And we also, you know, got quite a few of the uh, companions. You had Perry. You had Tegan. Yeah, you had Tegan. And Tegan, then you yeah. had Ace. Ace. And who else? And then we had... Uh, we had uh, Eric Roberts, the master, and then we also had Grace oh, Holloway Daphne from Ashbrook. Daphne yeah. Ashbrook. And so we actually only did two of the panels for going to see Doctor Who guests um, because they were in the same building we were doing the panels at. Pensacon's a very interesting con. It's very spread out. Where Dragon Con's within the five hotels and then the America's Mart, which is all walkable. Not so much for Pensacon. They actually have shuttles that have to take you places and everything. Wow. And, yeah, they simply so, don't don't have the space. No, I there mean, is it's not a enough space. City. Exactly. Um, they have what they call the Bay Center, which is where concerts are at, or the hockey team plays there, and they have basketball and stuff. That's the arena where on the floor where the ice ring is, that's where the vendor hall is. That is literally it. For the vendor hall and then the upper ring where the 200 level is, that's where Artist Alley is, up there. And celebrity tables are up there. Up there, too, on another section. And it it was real interesting to see. And then they have um, different places where they have panels or they have the celebrity panels and such. And, you know, that is they have the shot like different shuttle buses. That'll take you to the parking lots or they'll take you around Pensacola because there's like six different stops. And it's just real interesting to see. And we actually had three panels over the weekend of that were official ESO panels. 
And then we also sat in with our friend Christian, who does the Legend of the Traveling Tardis podcast. We actually sat in for his um, Doctor Who panel also. How do you make a Whovian? And so that was on Friday that we did. And then Saturday on in the morning, we did Doctor Who, um, you know, Doctor Who past and what's coming up. And we had a standing room only room for that one. Uh, we had it, the best audience. That they was were, one of the they best. Were awesome. They were amazing to see and everything. And then Saturday early evening, we did a Sandman panel. And, and that so was a lot of fun too. That was a really nice discussion and everything. And I think in between that, we also got to see John Barrowman. So. <laughs> Barrowman was Barrowman. He he was oh. a he was a total blast. He was. He came wonderful. out in his sparkly TARDIS cape and his almost like a Liberace type <laughs> outfit. And then, and then he came and then he stripped it off and he was wearing. Of all things, a TARDIS hockey jersey with rhinestones all over yes, it. Yes, a very sparkly <laughs> hockey jersey. Nice. Oh, yeah. And, oh, his um, his panel was not for the faint of heart, as always. And it was awesome and everything. But he was great. He was great. And then on Sunday, we actually had a wonderful panel. Um, so you want to start a podcast. And it was myself, Mary, and our friend Tyra Burton doing the panel and we had we had probably what about 15 20 people in there yeah something and... like that a, a good group of everyone who wanted uh most of whom had not done a podcast before her had only done a few episodes there was really only one in there who mm -hmm. had a lot of experience and yeah it was really fun listening to different perspectives and you know we even learned a couple things tricks. from them and everything we, did. Which we is learned a couple cool. things wrong i learned from tyra the marketing yeah. queen <laughs> oh she is amazing she really really is amazing and so it was a blast and thank you to the fine folks at uh you know pensacon they put on an amazing show and i enjoyed it so much that i'm really considering you know coming back for next year for 2024 and they've already announced some anime guests already and mm -hmm. such. So it's, you know, they're definitely doing it. So, and, you know, it's only, you know, four and a half, five hours by car. It's, you know, it's just hop and hop, <laughs> skipping yeah, the job. Only, only two and a half to three hours for me. So not, <laughs> not bad at all. Exactly. And it's right on the beach, folks. That's, you know, that's, there's a reason why they call it the Bay Center, because it's right on the water, basically. And it is gorgeous down there. It really, really is. Yeah, and I highly recommend you stay in Pensacola Beach if you go. Yes, very much so. It's, you know, the city is nice, but the beach is gorgeous. The beach is totally gorgeous. So we had a blast. So total thumbs up and thank you to doing it. Oh, also give a quick shout out. I actually met my old podcasting partner there. I haven't seen him in over 12 years. I met Wes Hubbard whose podcast I was on before I started ESO. And I haven't seen West in probably over 12 years. And he was one of the, he's like the assistant to the guy who's creating the, doing the panels and everything. And he was helping with guests and everything. And we recognized each other. It was the first time we actually met in person. And, oh, wow. and it was awesome and everything. Cause he lives down that way. And, you know, and so it was great to catch up with him and it was a good, good, good time to see him. I saw him like almost every day. We kept on running into each other and it's cool. And so it was a lot of fun. So definitely recommend if you get a chance, Pensacon, 
worth your stop, folks. Very nice. Very nice. And I think our next uh, scheduled appearance is SC Comic Con coming up oh. uh, pretty soon next month, I yeah. think. Yep. And we did see Robert and his lovely wife, Michelle, at the con. So they had a table set up on the in the vendor hall, and we actually ended up having dinner right next to them. <laughs> and we didn't even realize it until we were done and everything. So it was like, what are you guys? Are you guys following us? You know, that kind of thing. So They're good it people, was awesome. and that should be a good time. Oh, it should be. South Carolina Comic Con, mid-April in Greenville, South Carolina, is the next appearance of ESO. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a minute to close up the show. Attention, people of Earth! Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast! It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. Join us! Bring coffee! We're on the ESO Network. And we're at Flopcast.net. Are you guys ready to get out of here? Thank you guys for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. It was a ton of fun to talk to everyone tonight. To get out of here, we do have a little bit of sad news we have to bring up. Contributor to the show, friend of the show, friend of all of us, uh, Darren Noel, who has been with us since episode six of the podcast. So that's over 12 years almost, folks that he has sadly enough passed away and i know that might take surprise to us surprise to you at home um we found out really crazily last tuesday right before we were supposed to record the dragon con report and that's why the dragon con report was put on hold last week and we're we're surviving and darren was a very good friend he, he was, whenever you met him, he lit the room, literally. He was the life of the party, and he will be missed. He was a friend personally, and, you know, I will miss him. I will miss everything he represented. His memory will go on. We're not stopping the LGBTQ, you know, segment. We're going to keep it going. And, you know, I just want us to you know remember the good things about him and you know just you know we'll, we'll do a toast on the dragon con report we're going to be doing that uh, it'll probably be out to folks you know a couple of days after this but you know what we're also going to be dedicating an episode in a couple of weeks to darren and talking about it we'll have some of his friends up we'll have some you know folks we'll have ways for you to leave messages so we can read them on the air and stuff like that. We're going to try to make it as interactive and have as many people involved as possible. But it's weird. This is really the first of our crew that we've lost. And that's a pretty good run for over almost 13 years of doing a podcast. So 
just be thankful for what you have, folks. Just always remember about it because you never know when it's going to be taken from you. Darren, you're going to be missed, and we loved you. That's the best thing. And like, if you don't mind, can I just add that uh, seeing everybody out there who loved him as well, uh, and, you know, I mean, who who didn't, who couldn't, right? One thing that's been particularly moving to me uh, that I just, you know, because we do these shows and we, we, you know, we have a lot of fun, but we don't know sometimes what impact it has. Uh, but it's amazing to me how many people have knew Darren because they listened to our show and because they listened to the Dragonhound Report. Um, and <laughs> if I do nothing else in this in this world, the fact that I have been part of something that's introduced a lot of people to a guy like Darren makes me so proud. So mm-hmm. uh, I am proud to have that that legacy um, and be part of that. And I'm I am proud to have known him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I know the fine folks over also at the Legion of Substitute Podcasters is going to be doing something for Darren also. So please check that out also. And, you know, I want to just thank you guys for listening to the podcast, being with us. You guys are our family also. So thank you. Thank you. You know, we love you guys. And let's thank Mr. Mike. Thank you for being here tonight. As always, it's my pleasure. Ashley, always nice to have you on the show and educating you. It's awesome. Yes, it's thank you. Thing. It's a great crew and of people and no one I'd rather talk movies with. I appreciate you more than you could ever, ever know. And of course, Ms. Mary Ogle, my roommate for the weekend. It <laughs> yes, was awesome. What, what a wonderful time we had. It thank was you a so great, much great for time. having me on. And thank You're you, awesome. Darren, because I don't always get to talk gay issues and gay themes with people who really understand and uh for when uh Darren made me a part of the LGBT broadcast it was really special and, and I'll I'll miss him forever. I agree with that completely. Folks, it, you know, we're not going to do the whole usual closing stuff. It's not appropriate. Just feedback at our station1.com. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. Till next time, my name's Mike Faber. We'll see ya. Hug your loved ones. You know, be thankful and we will be good. Peace. And we are done. Boom. Later, Gators. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.